This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm uh, in between series at the present time, so I'm just going to share something that's, uh, that's on my heart. It's, uh, this is one of those topics that's uh, almost always on my heart. But um, nevertheless, I want to talk to you tonight about the authority of man. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So he's talking to believers. He's writing to believers. He's writing to those that have been born again. Here's the message. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Notice this is how grace, which is everything Jesus has purchased for us through his sacrifice, the shedding of his blood. And peace is available through knowledge. I want you to know it's not available through prayer. It's not available through complaining. It's available through knowledge. That'd solve a lot of people's problems if they just understand that. Verse 3, according. Here's the reason why. According as his divine power, that's the new birth, that's the work of the Holy Ghost on the inside of us, that all those that are reading, or at least all those that this letter is addressed to, have experienced. According as his divine power hath given, now I want you to notice since past tense, hath given unto us all things. Everybody say all things. How much does that encompass? Is there anything left out? According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now let's stop and think about that for a minute. What things pertain to life and godliness? The life he's talking about has got to be eternal life. Godliness has got to be the aspect or characteristic of righteousness. So maybe we would be better off defining it rather than trying to... uh, Specify what are all things that pertain to life and godliness. Maybe we'd be better off defining it by saying he's given us all things that conquer spiritual death and sin. Because that would be the the opposite of things that pertain to life and godliness, wouldn't it? That means he's given us all things that pertain to the overcoming of sin in our lives, strength, He's not talking about the new birth. That's already been given. That's what brought us into the family of God. But he's giving us strength to overcome temptation. He's given us healing to overcome sickness. He's given us prosperity to overcome poverty. He's given us peace to overcome depression. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, here's the reason I want you to, to focus in on this for just a moment. And that is, what do you think most Christians' prayer life looks like if not praying and asking God for things that pertain to life and godliness? My point is very simply this. If this verse of Scripture is true, if the Holy Ghost truly told Peter to write this to the church, to the believers, the family of God, then most people are praying for what's already theirs. Well, the things that are already given to you freely of God don't come by prayer. They don't come by you asking God for them. 
wouldn't make any sense to ask him for something he's already given you, would it? You wouldn't appreciate that from your kids. You wouldn't want your kids to ask you for something you've already provided for them. You'd want them to take advantage of it and use it. And if they kept on and kept on and kept on asking you, pretty soon you're going to think something's wrong with them. Well, folks, may I be so bold as to say there's something wrong with a lot of Christians' prayer lives? And that something that's wrong is a lack of knowledge, which robs them of the very things that they desire, the very things that God has provided. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge. Here's how you take advantage of them. Through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Whereby, for this purpose, to take advantage of everything that's been given to you. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Now, folks, please understand, he's not talking about the new birth. He's already written it in verse 1. It says he's writing to people that have been born again. He's writing to those that have obtained like precious faith to the righteousness of God. That means salvation. So partakers of the divine nature doesn't mean so that you might be born again, that you might be saved. It means that you might live up to who you've been created to be in Christ Jesus. He's talking about a state, a condition of Christianity that's based on authority. Can you see that? Now notice the way the Holy Spirit prompts Peter to write this. He's writing to him to encourage people to come to the knowledge and to recognize and to walk in the fact that they're more than conquerors. That they've been given all things. Not to look to seek after, look for or seek after the things that are already given, but that they might might walk in it, walk in those things and overcome the evil that's in the world, overcome the consequences of spiritual death that still abide in this physical realm. Is any of this making sense? Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these You might be partakers by the word of God. You might be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped, you've already escaped. Not in hopes of escaping, but having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. May we categorize that or summarize that statement by saying having escaped spiritual death and all of its consequences. Having escaped the bondage of spiritual death. The bondage of spiritual death is sin. It's sickness, it's poverty, it's depression, it's anything that holds you back, it's anything that holds you bound. The Bible says you've already escaped that by virtue of the fact that you've been made righteous in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to keep this in mind, particularly verse 3, according he has given to us, according as his divine power has given unto us, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I want you to turn back with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to start reading, and this is a creation account. I'm going to start reading in verse 26. 
And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, an exact duplicate in kind. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. The word subdue means to bring it under your control. You're in charge. Something gets out of whack, you deal with it. If something needs fixing, you fix it. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you. It's already done. Everything was in place. Everything was in order when God made Adam and Eve. Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree, yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, folks, I I have to tell you the truth. I don't know if this is the entirety of what God said, but it's God's um, report of what he told Adam and Eve for Moses to give us a record of. And literally, what's taking place here, whether it's in its entirety or not, what's taking place here is that God creates man, breathes the breath of life into him. He becomes a living soul. And then he says to Adam, I've given you everything that's in the earth. You walk in it, you take care of it, you bring it under your control, which indicates that there might be things that get out of control. Otherwise, what is there to exercise control over? See, God knew the devil was present before Adam ever found out. So he says, I've given you everything that you need to exercise dominion. Now, folks, you may get tired of me saying this, and for that, let me apologize up front, but I'm never going to quit saying it. God never changes. His will never changes. There is no shadow of turning with God. If his original plan was to make man for the purpose of having dominion on the earth, which is the only reason that the Bible ever states that God wanted to make man. His desire to make man was for one and only one purpose, and that was for him to have dominion over the creation that he was going to make, and that was the earth. So if that was God's original intent, then that's his present day intent. If man, if God's plan for the earth was for man to have, have dominion, then it's his intent and his plan for man to have dominion today. Now, doesn't that sound a lot like what Peter just said? Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, according as his divine power has given unto us, has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God said to Adam and Eve, you've got a whole world to exercise dominion over. You've got a whole world that you're in charge of. I know some people get uh, freaked out by using this term, but the fact is God made man to be the God of this earth. By that, I just simply mean he made him to be in charge. He made him to have dominion. Well, again, if that was God's original plan, that's God's plan today. God's plan for the earth 
was for man to have dominion over everything that's here. It's his plan now that we've been brought into his family and restored to life, restored to righteousness in Christ Jesus. It's his plan for man to have dominion in the earth today. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Jesus said the kingdom of God is as a man speaking the word of God into his heart. You exercising your authority in the name of Jesus by whom you have access into the kingdom of heaven to say that for you, you are free from the influence of sickness and disease. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. The first point I want to make before I go into any further explanation is that what Jesus heard from the devil did not stop him from exercising authority over sickness and disease. It did not stop him from exercising authority over demons and evil spirits. What he heard from the devil did not stop Jesus from exercising the God-given authority that he had here on the earth. So my question, first question would be this. If it didn't stop Jesus from exercising his authority, then why should it stop us? Interesting point. Point number two. If the devil has, and, and it's clear, we saw from the, the teaching, the series that we did on Revelation here recently, about the beast system and the different uh, world governments that the devil has set up and utilizes. We know that he uses governments, civil governments, to exercise control and dominion and to, pro to uh, promote his agenda in the earth. We know that for a fact. But if the devil has complete authority, even in civil governments, how is it possible for Israel to ever have had a righteous king? See, if the devil has complete authority, as most of the church world seems to think he does, then how is it possible that Hezekiah was a righteous king? How is it possible that David was a righteous king? Now, don't get me wrong. These guys screwed up. They messed up. They committed sin. They were imperfect. But they had a heart for God. So if the devil is the one that's controlling all of the governments of the earth or any other part of the earth, how is it? That man has the opportunity to resist him. How is it that man has an opportunity to refuse to be a part of his plans and his purposes? How is it that the old covenant gave instruction to man saying that if you'll obey what the word says to do, obey the commandments that God gave Moses, then blessings will come upon you instead of curses. Because if the devil's in charge, he's going to curse everybody to the greatest degree possible, isn't he? Jesus said the purpose of the devil, the whole purpose of the devil was to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Well, then why isn't he destroying everybody? Why did he leave you alone long enough to get saved? See, folks, the idea that man lost his authority on the earth is contrary to everything that we know about God and the eternal nature of our Heavenly Father. Furthermore, 
If the devil was big enough to wrest authority from man simply by deceiving him, sounds to me like the devil's power was greater than God's when he made man the ruler of the earth. Sounds to me like God didn't do a good job of planning when he said, let us make man in our own image and let him have dominion. If man's dominion in the earth was that fragile, where one misstep caused everything about God's eternal plan to go out the window, then it seems to me that the devil is least, at the very least an equal power, if not a greater power. Let's shift gears a little bit. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, we'll start reading in verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority. Having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goes. And I say to another one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does whatever I tell him to do. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now, what was it about this guy that qualified him for great faith? Other than what he just explained to Jesus. That's all Jesus knows about this guy is what he just explained. He said, I understand authority. And Jesus said that qualified him for great faith. And he hadn't found it anywhere in Israel up to that point in time. Well, if understanding authority qualified you for great faith in Jesus' day, why wouldn't it qualify you for great faith today? Now, instead of focusing on the great faith part, which there's a lot of things there we could look at and probably should look at, uh, in an, at least in a different time, different setting. What I want you to see is very simply this. Jesus marveled at this man's understanding of authority and how it related to the things of God. Now, the understanding of authority that this man had was simply a natural authority based on the work that he did as a centurion or a Roman soldier. But he understood that when he, because of his rank over the soldiers that were under his charge, because of his rank, because of the position that was given to him by those that were higher than he was in the army and ultimately Caesar himself, he understood that authority caused things to take place at the spoken word. And Jesus marvels that he understands something very significant. Now, Jesus doesn't say, wow, you stumbled up on something. I wish other people would understand this. Jesus marveled at this man's greatness of faith through his understanding. Remember 1 Peter or 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God our Father and Jesus our Lord. He's saying... The same thing to this man, your understanding, your knowledge of authority and how it works in a military situation is the greatest example of faith that he's run into in his earthly ministry at that point in time. And he didn't find it from somebody that should understand some of these things. He found it from somebody outside the Abrahamic covenant. 
Abraham understood obedience. God told him to do something and he did it and he was blessed because of it. Israel didn't catch on. But the centurion did. The centurion understood that when somebody in authority speaks, those that are under their authority, whether they be people or things, must obey. So he says to Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. It's not necessary for you to be physically present any more than it's necessary for me to be physically present for one of my orders to be carried out. You just speak the word and sickness and disease, which is under your authority, will have to leave. And Jesus marvels at his willingness to accept the spoken word as the proof of the final result. Can I suggest to you that it might do us well to understand authority? May I suggest that it would be worth our while to exercise ourselves to understand at least what the centurion did. And I believe since we're born again, since we have a greater insight into spiritual truth than he ever did, we should go even further than the authority, than the, under, than the centurion's understanding of authority. Wouldn't you agree? Let's talk about some other things that we know. We know in Matthew chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 10 that Jesus gave his authority, gave authority over sickness and disease to his disciples, first the 12 and then the 70. We know he gave them authority to cure diseases and to cast out devils. And he told them what to do and he told them how to use it. Here's a question for you. Where did he get the authority to give to them? If man lost his authority to the devil, it's clear that Jesus is operating in authority that breaks the power of the devil. So how did he get it back while he was here on the earth? If we conclude that God had the authority and he delivered it to Jesus, then the question is, how did God give it back from man? You're telling me that when man fell, authority shifted back to God? That wouldn't make sense. First of all, God didn't give part-time authority to man. He gave man authority over the earth for as long as the earth reigns, for as long as the earth exists. Man is to reign, rule and reign over the earth. So where did Jesus get the authority over sickness and disease that he gave to his disciples. Turn with me to two openings of scripture. First of all, I want you to see John chapter 3. Then after that, we'll turn to Mark chapter 11. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. That means he's acquainted with the law of Moses. He should know what the old covenant's about. The same man came to Jesus by night under the cover of darkness and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now let me ask you a question. What in the world is Nicodemus getting at? Is he just brown-nosing Jesus here? If so, he's going to, going to, to some degree of risk. He doesn't want to be found out by the rest of the Pharisees the Jewish leaders. 
There must be some kind of threat that he feels like he needs to come in the cover of darkness. For what purpose? Why would he go to risk, put himself at risk to whatever degree he was, to come tell Jesus, we know that you're come from God? Is that really what he's after? Is it possible that he's coming to Jesus searching for the answer to how is Jesus doing these miracles and so forth that God obviously is helping him do? Jesus seems to think so because Jesus answers him and says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I do not believe that Jesus is some kind of weirdo where no matter what somebody asks him, he just focuses on what his talking points are and talks about salvation. If this is the case, this is the only time in the, in the scriptures that it happens. Every other time when people ask Jesus questions, he answers their questions. But let me submit something to you for your consideration. Nicodemus is focused on God because of the miracles. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher. Come from God. For nobody can do the miracles that you do unless God is with him. Where is Nicodemus looking to as the source of the power? The source of the miracle working power that's operating in Jesus. Well, from what he says, he's looking to heaven. Jesus, however, redirects his attention and his focus. He doesn't talk about heaven. He talks about the condition of man. Now the subject is, and and without question, the subject of Nicodemus' query or inquiry is the miracles. You've got to be from God because you can't do miracles unless God is with you like this. So his interest is in the miracles. Jesus takes his attention away from heaven. He takes his attention away from himself and points it back to the condition of man. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would he not at least commend Nicodemus and say, first of all, even though you came under cover of darkness, good on you for recognizing that I'm from God. And then why didn't he speak further and say, And since you've identified that I'm from God, you know who that makes me, don't you? You know the Old Testament scriptures. You know the law of Moses. You know that I'm doing the things that the Bible says, that the Old Covenant said, that Isaiah said, that the Messiah would do. Have you connected the dots yet? That would have been a great conversation for him to have with him, wouldn't it? But that's not what Nicodemus is after. That's not the point of his comment. The point of his comment is not, are you the Messiah? It's where are these miracles coming from? And Jesus points him back to the condition of man. When Jesus first appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, he said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Then he conferred authority on the earth to his disciples. We need to know what our authority is in the name of Jesus. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. He's emptied himself.
of his heavenly power and glory. Jesus is an example of what a righteous man that understands authority can do in the earth. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.